Okay, so essentially what, what she's referring to, I'm, I'm going to give you so that everybody's on the same page. I'm going to say a few things about the imprint. One of the things we assume, and when I'm saying we assume, these of course are things that are um, in the realm of the energetic, right? If we cut you open, we do not find the actual stamp of a man over your heart. Right? Hopefully not. Who knows? But <clears throat> meaning when we talk about somebody's imprint, what we're talking about is an energetic shape that has formed in the uh, engagement with that human. Right? And so sexually speaking, because women open their bodies, all of us in, in whatever ways, right? we have openings that uh, we are being entered uh, sexually, right? So in actual penetration, you're being entered, but there's also emotional openings, of course, right? And so there is, in, in a woman's energetic system, it's, it's not closed, right? It might be closed, but in order to have actual intercourse, you have to open your energetic system like you have to open your body to let a man in. And in the, in the um, engagement with a man's energy and with a man's penetration and opening ourselves to a man physically and emotionally, that human, right, or it could be a woman too, but if you're, you know, if you're um, having sex with a woman who enters your body manually or, you know, other ways, doesn't matter, but we're just in your case now talking about a man entering you. And so when that happens, a variety of things happen. And um, some of these things are the opening of the heart, which goes hand in hand with the sexual opening for most women, not all women, but for most women, where we open our hearts to men who penetrate us and the deeper they penetrate us energetically and physically often, the more we open our heart and body to them. So what that then means is that the opening remains when the man leaves. Right? You, you've made space and you've opened to that and you've oriented your being to that penetration and with that to that man and as much as most women want that and ask for that it's pretty pesky and what I mean by that is that you are essentially allowing a human who is less than perfect for the most part to um, enter shape and possibly pollute you, right? So best case scenario, you engage with a man, it's, he's a great man, he opens your body, he opens your sexual experience, he opens your heart, you have a deep relationship, you can trust him, you shape your life around his life or with his life, and it's all good, right? That's best case scenario. And that strong imprint allows you to have not only a life orientation, but also a devotional orientation, because that particular man 
um, allows you a glimpse of God, so to speak. Right? That's best case scenario. That's what everybody yearns for, as far as I know. In absence of that kind of a man, we often settle for the fast food version. One of the common fast food version, the, the um, McDonald's of uh, Godman is the the Mac Godman is the bad boy. The Mac Godman, yeah, the Mac Godman, the you know the the Whopper Junior, if you of a of a Godman is a bad boy, right? Often a bad boy is your cheap fast food version of a godman, so to speak, right? And they share a few attributes, one of which is a certain ruthlessness. So the godman, we'll call him the godman, is um, ruthless from an empty, from a contentless place, so to speak, where whatever needs to be done spontaneously is being done for the sake of the greatest good, right? And that has a very specific feeling in a woman's body that, that produces opening and surrender and ecstasy and, you know, amazing things. Um, if, you, if we can't have that, we'll settle for the, you know, the, the, the Whopper Junior of Godman, which is a dude who is either a bad boy or a, a pseudo-tantric wizard, right? Um, I, I would say that you're better off with the bad boy than the pseudo-tantric wizard, because the bad boys are usually not quite as hooky as the pseudo-tantric wizard. The pseudo-tantric wizards have, have you know, sharpened their Velcro. They can, you know, they can hook to you with all the right speak and the right eye contact and the right cradling of your back and neck and whatever, right? So... And they, they give you the promise of the great surrender. And, um, and the real horrible thing about, the, I'm, I'm going to stick with the pseudo-tantric man for a second. The real horrible thing about that kind of a guy is that you are left with the feeling that you should be more surrendered than you are. And that's a really dangerous thing because somehow in your mind you go, I must have control issues. I'm in too much in my masculine because I'm not actually going mindless when this guy is fucking me. Hint, if you're not surrendered, it's probably not because you are in your masculine. It's probably because he's selling you a wrong bill of goods. Because one of the interesting things about having an encounter with a God man is it, 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 it happens right? You, you don't have to think about surrendering. It's just the thing that happens, right? So that's a really important piece when we look at the, the cheap substitutes to the real thing, right? So the bad boy uh, is a bit more dangerous in that sense because um, that kind of ruthless my way or the highway has a much more surrendering effect to it because it's so, it's got such a strong slipstream. And so most of us at some point have settled for a bad boy, you know, um, substitute and paid the price in some way. So I'm saying all of this to say um, when you have those imprints, 
that are deep enough that you're hooked or that you want something that you can't have. You, you've had a, you know, a taste of surrender and now you're chasing that. Or you had a taste of the bad, the ruthlessness or the emptiness that feels you know, like ruthlessness. Um, you want that. And whatever the deepest of that experience you had, that's what you want. When that man leaves... He leaves a hole, so to speak. He leaves an imprint. And that imprint has a very specific shape. And so unless that shape is supplanted by a, a, a bigger shape, so to speak, or a deeper imprint, you're going to always have that thing. And often women have had that one guy who fucked them really, really, really well, just the right way, but he wasn't available. You know, and so that's the one that you always yearn for while you settle for the computer analyst who would never <laughs> cheat, cheat on you. So this is the kind of setup for what you're saying is you have an imprint. How do you get rid of that imprint? Because that imprint, of course, is the thing that causes great pain because you want that again, right? You, and nothing less can do it. The itch isn't getting scratched by less than. And so the deepest imprint is the thing you yearn for. And then if you can have that, it's a pretty unhappy set of circumstances. And you're going to go around and try and find that thing. And so you become like this hungry ghost of chasing an imprint. That's, that's what she's talking about. And so what I was saying back then was you have, you, have the, you have the quick and dirty version, which is you find somebody who gives you a deeper imprint and hopefully is available, or at least roots out that particularly partic you know, particular imprint that might be a bit pernicious. And by the way, this is how most women do it, right? That is why we have rebound men. Right? Why do we have rebound men when really we should just be licking our wounds and cry and have ice cream or something like that? Because that man will reshape. If he isn't a deeper imprint, he at least slightly reshapes the imprint. And then it's not as painful and as specific to that particular man. And you all know what I'm talking about. right? So... so that's the quick and dirty version is you just find somebody who has a really good deep imprint and you have that person be with you. Right? That's the best way. Or if they don't want to be with you because they're not available, um, maybe it's a cleaner imprint than the last imprint. So, you know, can make some pretty practical considerations there. The other thing that you can do is you can reshape the imprint into... Um, a divine imprint, let's put it this way. And so how you do that specifically, so you do a self-pleasure practice, a, an ongoing self-pleasure practice, during which you are, and I'll describe this in some detail uh, for you and anybody else who's interested, but I'm just going to give you the overview, where, where you're during which you're essentially imprinting yourself or orienting yourself towards the divine, however you understand that. You can do it with Shiva, you can do it with Jesus, you can do it with just a um, benevolent ma male force um, 
any other archetype or god of your choice. You do not want to do it with a specific uh, media type archetype. Please don't do that. A friend of mine um, did a man altar to attract a, a, a man. And uh, she wanted a child, she wanted a man with whom she could have a child. And so she picked a pop culture icon who had one of his daughters on his naked, very gorgeous arm. His whole upper body was naked. He was holding his little kid. And, um, and so she kind of did practice around calling in her man by, so to speak, merging with this particular man who had a child. Uh, but that was an actual man with an actual wife and an actual child. So what, what eventually happened is she attracted him as a client in her business, that very person, and she started having sex with a married man. Aww. Yes. So oops is right. So, so don't use actual people. Right? Use archetypes or deities. It's very important. Um, so, otherwise you'll end up in some odd situation. But you, what you'll do, so now I'm going to give you the specifics on this, is ideally you do it with a G-spot or cervical practice, not with a clitoral practice, for many reasons, one of which is duration. You open your body, you relax your body, you do some nonlinear practice, you dance, you do whatever you need to do, you massage your entire body, whatever it takes so your body's open. And then you start specific sexual practice. And within the sexual practice, you put your heart and your orientation and your open body against that male imprint, so to speak. And you call that male imprint into your body. And so you allow the pleasure and the opening to bring in that particular shape and let that shape imprint in your sexual practice. And that takes a little while, so you probably will have to do, I want to say, 30 to 60-minute chunks of continuous sexual practice so that you have that layer of openness and orientation. And you do that for a little while, that will pretty much root out any imprint you have. So that was question number one. (laughs) Question number two, how can you attract the kind of man you want? Well, see question number one in the the sense (laughs) that, that... when your imprint, right, so you can imagine when you do, do that kind of practice and your imprint has the shape of God, so to speak, then one aspect of who you are, depending on how much you practice and what, you know, how your body is, is fluent in that, but you, you are like, your light has the shape of that of that imprint, so to speak, right? Exactly, it's like the bat signal. It's exactly like the bat signal. So you have a disposition, you know, to attract Batman, so to speak, um, when you send that signal. So that's, that's one aspect of it. The other aspect, there isn't that many good men 
And within, there isn't that many good men. And what I mean by that is not that there isn't good men out there. There's lots of really, really good men out there. But many of the good men are taken. Right? And if it happens that a good man is available, he usually has a substantial amount of choice. And so, let's see how I can say this. The most important thing you can do in that domain is that you are clear on your offering. And what I mean by that is, what kind of man do you want is one set of circumstances, right? But is that kind of man interested in what you have to offer is the much more important set of circumstances. Right. And so you have to see if your offering matches the requirement of that kind of a man. And if your offering doesn't match the requirement of that kind of a man, you have two options, and this is dicey. And the reason it's dicey is that we tend to, who was saying good enough? Somebody was talking about good? Yeah. So we tend to think that we're not good enough and we need to do things to become good enough. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is realistically assessing who we are and realistically assessing what our offering to the mate of our desire would be, and then looking at where in who we are, are there areas where we could have a little bit more skill or emphasis or development without doing it in order to become somebody that we're not. And then the other aspect of that is if you are not the kind of woman who fits the requirements of that kind of a man, you might want to find a man whose requirements you fit. This is not an easy thing for most women to, to hear because, you know, classic thing, you ask somebody, what kind of man do you want? I want him to be powerful and successful and totally unperturbable pursuing his own path and he needs to be extremely adventurous and sexual and rich right so let's let's oh and your humor right your humor is always on the list well right that's all good and nice but that kind of a man isn't around doesn't have time, doesn't take your needs as the first priority, and probably shouldn't have children because that doesn't mix with adventure and uh, imperturbable, uh, not changing his path. Right? So sometimes the things we say we want really don't match what we really want. And, and that's a really important thing because if, for instance, you want a man with whom to have children, uh, totally different criteria apply than if you want a man with whom you will have wild rolls in the hay uh, on a yacht in Monaco. <laughs> right? And 
the, the twain shall never meet, right? You, well, then you need to have two men, right? <laughs> Which, of course, is an option nowadays. Um, you know, you have to just decide who's primary and who's secondary. <laughs> so you, you can do all of that, but you need to have an honest assessment of who you are. And then another thing is, right, you want that kind of a guy, well, what are you going to do for him? Right? And are the things that he would want to have done for things that you actually want to supply? Right? And, and that's, that's an important piece. So before you think about how do you attract the perfect man, it's probably a good idea to go, what do I have to offer? And can I improve my offerings, not from a place of lack, from, but from a place of um, deeper development? Okay, good. So now we're coming back to question number one. You fuck a guy, he leaves an imprint. Right? That's just the way it goes. Um, so do you want to engage with unavailable men or men who are not um, the kind of men you want to be because you like a good role in the hay? You can. There's no reason not to. There is a few caveats, though, one of which is there is a certain amount of pollution, so to speak, that comes from acquiring imprints that even consciously you go, well, he's not for me, right? You know, that's like, you know, I'll give you a, a I don't know, I'm trying to come up with something that, that's like that. Uh, you wear a size six and I give you a two, size two sweater. And I go, here, wear that. And you go, that's too small for me. And I go, well, still wear it. Right? It's a little bit like that. You're saying he's not the man for me. And then you let him into your body. So you are essentially going against everything that your body and mind already know. For what? Scratching an itch? You know, um, having a, a momentary feeling of being filled or being wanted or sexual gratification, that's a risk assessment you have to make on a moment-by-moment -moment basis, right? Sometimes that's what is called for, but you have to know that you're essentially compromising your basic value structure by letting this guy into you. That's one caveat. The other caveat is that this is a bit controversial to say uh, because it sounds a bit prudish, which it's not. Because there is reasons to sports fuck, so to speak, right? Good reasons. And there's, uh, there's no slut shaming involved in what I'm saying now. However, the kind of man that you possibly want isn't going to want to enter into the already taken up space, right? So meaning you had a roll in the hay with an unsuitable man yesterday and now you're on a date with a guy who's actually the guy and there isn't a lot of space because that space has been, the, muddy, the waters have been muddied, right? And 
a, a decent guy can feel the muddied waters, right? And there's, of course, also evolutionarily, um, evolutionary patterns, right? Um, from an evolutionary standpoint, a man will not enter and, and ejaculate into a woman who's recently had sex with another man. And that, that it's kind of supposedly men can, and men who are very sensitive report that, they can kind of feel that. There's a slight repellent thing. Now we're talking fine energetics and of lo a lot of guys don't care, but let's just assume you want a man who is clued in into those kind of things and sensitive in those kind of ways and has a certain kind of a sensibility around an energetic cleanliness and also seal between two people. So those are some things to consider. But that, like I said, that's not to say that, for instance, one of the reasons why I'm calling it sports fucking just because I like the word, but um, <laughs> one of the reasons to do that is if you are desperate and craven to the point where you can't see straight, right, or feel straight. So if you've been very deprived for whatever reasons and... You, you can't even go on a proper date because you're just so right there. Then it's probably a good idea to, you know, find an unsuitable man, um, replete certain things in your body, wait a bit, and, you know, not long enough that you're depleted again, but wait a bit so that then you can enter into a, a proper date without being you know, but of course you could also do that um, for those of you who don't have the, the the taste for you know the casual engagement. You can of course also do that with solo sexual practice, you know? and and uh, particularly the kind of that I described, where you open yourself to God, you 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 have a devotional aspect to your sexual engagement, and. For those of you who do that, and I know some of you do, right, the, the kind of orgasms and the kind of engagement that you have in that context f very much fill you and they make you very self-sufficient. And hence you're not as craven for just anybody to go in there, so to speak. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, right? But, and these are gross uh, generalizations, right? I just want to make this disclaimer. This is not always true in all situations. But as a general rule, all of us love a good love story. And a good love story is never um, you meet a guy and you live happily ever after. It's you meet a guy, you have the perfect connection, but somehow the, 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 the fates are against you in some way, right? He, his wife is, uh, is terminally ill in an insane asylum and he can't divorce her and his family doesn't allow him to engage with another woman, or, you know, whatever. Or you love his, Romeo and Juliet, yeah? You love his uh, brother, but he loves you, and, but his brother is terminally ill, and, you know, like, well, see any romance movie out there, right? So, 
we tend to have a slight addiction to the thing that can't be had. So that's one thing. The other thing, and I'm saying this from personal experience as much as from professional experience because I've been there, just because we think things have perfectly aligned doesn't mean at all that that's what's happening in the men's set of circumstances. And that's not because men are bad or evil or whatever. It's just because they have a very different view on things. And men don't view relationships the way women view relationships. And they also don't fall in love as quickly as we do. So while you are going, oh my God, it was the most magical thing, the chemistry, the intimacy, it was so incredible. He has that part, but another part of him goes, well, um, you know, I have a plan. It's five years from now I'm doing this and this doesn't fit in here and my last relationship was really fucked up. I don't want to go there. And it's a lot more, you know, cut and dry. And it's a lot more removed from that magical place that he might have entered with you. But when he leaves your house, uh, you might as well not exist. Right. And many men are like that. You hear them talk about the fact that when they're not with their women, even though they love them dearly, they don't think of them or text or call or whatever. Some of them have become more domesticated and they just know it's better to do that because otherwise (laughs) there's hell to pay. But it's not because they don't love them. It's just because they have compartmentalized minds in which that's you, you don't exist in that room. Right. Until he comes back into this room, you might as well not exist. And, and so I'm saying all of this to say is, if he is scared, there's nothing you can do. Right? There's no way you can make yourself unscary because it has nothing to do with you. It, 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 has, to do, it has to do with wherever the hell he sits in his life. And so... When it's not happening, you must move on. As magical and as wonderful and how, as deep the imprint was because it's a world of hurt otherwise. Right. And so, you know, we've all been there. And I certainly have. And, ugh, you know, your entire existence revolves around that that pain point is, you know, it, it, you know, it's like, and, and, yeah, just have to move on. Well, see practice number one. Yes. Yeah. The thing that I'm talking about, that specific thing that I was talking about, I think is, is, a disposition that you either have or don't have, right? So meaning doesn't matter what age you are and what, where in your cycle you are. You either have the disposition to want to open, surrender, and let yourself into a sexual relationship a certain way, or you don't. There's women who don't, right? They want to be the one to whom someone opens and orients. But if you have that general disposition of wanting to be annihilated by the 
actual, physical or emotional or even you know intellectual penetration, um, because there is something very pleasurable about that too in the on the intellectual level that's almost sexual, right? So when you have that disposition, I think that that can happen, right? But then within cycles and phases of life and phases of um, development, I think different things happen. So traditionally speaking, um, most women when they're young don't mind you know, the multiple engagement and the, the sex for reasons that have nothing to do with sex, right? Power, validation, um, testing one's limits and boundaries, right? All of those things. You can have sex for all of those reasons, and, and many of us have, right? Where it really has nothing to do with the sexual gratification. And in those instances, you're usually not engaged with the heart in that way. Um, and then that again happens later in life for different reasons, usually because you know yourself better and you can make choices that are where, because things are not all meshed together in some way. Right? You can have, a, it tends to be in the tantric traditions, you have practice relationships, not neo tantric, but. In the tantric traditions, you have practice relationships, meaning you have consort relationships or relationships that have a specific uh, purpose later in life when you can do that without getting crazy entangled. And later in life when your uh, physical attributes and youth wane, but your depth of experience and devotion are at an all-time high then you can make different relational and sexual choices. But in your middle years, it is considered that all kinds of things play into that. For instance, I don't know if you know that, that when you ovulate, in the moment of the ovulation, the body starts spiking testosterone. Did you know that? And why? Because it makes you more slutty. <laughs> Meaning it makes you more risk uh, friendly towards having sex with even the wrong guy, right? Because the body wants to make sure that you get impregnated. So you kind of lose a few IQ points on ovulation because of the testosterone. Sorry. <laughs> so, so that, so th those are also things to consider, of course, right? But. The thing that I was talking about is more general disposition. And then within that, there's all kinds of things that, that happen. Unless you are really skilled, what can potentially happen is that you're muddling your sexual disposition with other things, right? So in general, you can do that. And you know this falls into the i'm going to this falls into the label of sex magic you hear people talk about sex magic a lot these days it's become the new hip thing you know everybody now is a sex magician <laughs> um and 
it's, it's quite interesting how these strains go, but this would be considered sex magic, right? So meaning you're using the sexual slash creative thrust to um, call forth or manifest or imprint something. So, so I'll go backwards. Like, uh, so the deepest, the deepest uh, form that you could engage with is that you use your sexual practice for, how shall we say this, for the deepest benefit of all beings, right? And you often hear this in, in, the, in the tantric, in all Buddhist practices, you know, May, may all beings be happy, may all beings be, and so on, and so for the benefit of all beings. So you could use your sexual life force and your sexual practice for the benefit of all beings. And you can certainly use uh, sexual practices to benefit and bless specific beings, including your partner, right? Where in the sexual act, you are giving off your sexual force for the health and well-being and happiness and spiritual uh, expansion of your of your other, or in your solo practice, you can dedicate your sexual practice to the benefit of a being or beings, and, and so on. So that would be the deepest or one of the deeper forms. In the simplest way, how a lot of people do sexual calling in imprinting is they do it for the benefit of themselves mm -hmm. in the sense uh, of wanting something and essentially uh, doing manifestation practice that's embodied through sexual energy. So that would be the, the, the entry, so to speak, right? And then there's layers layers up to the benefit of all beings where your sexually alive body blesses the world. Right? And the, the, the steps in between, if you want to use sex magic, so to speak, for your own benefit, you have to be very careful that you don't cross wires. So what I mean by that is, let's see if I can come up with a good example. Well, I'm not saying you're doing this, but, but let's just say you're filling a mastermind, right? And you want to have a hundred women in that mastermind. And that is a certain sum of money that to you represents that you've done all the freaking work that goes into that, right? And that's your manifestation point. By the way, nothing wrong with that whatsoever, right? You want something, you know how to get it, you work hard to get it. Just manifesting it isn't going to do the shit. You're going to have to do the work, right? What you're doing in the manifestation is you're pointing your internal compass somewhere so that when you start chugging, you know, your engine knows where it's going. That's what, what that is. So when you then say, I want to superpower my engine, my little engine that could, with my sexual drive, that's an option, and it's done. But where there is a slight caveat is that when you do that, and when you use your sexual power, so to speak, to that goal, you are 
networking and linking in your body sexual arousal with money making. Right? And that, that's, there's a big caveat there because you are connecting the opening and pleasure and sexual aliveness that belongs to God and the universe and then secondarily to you and your chosen partner, not necessarily in that order, to something that's very concrete and that's very, you know, like you put a pin in it. And so then if you do enough of that, your arousal loads up with that. And that, that can cause some real havoc long term. Right. So that so that's just something to keep in mind. So um, I personally keep my manifestation practices and my sexual practices apart. For instance, um, you know a little bit about this. You know, uh, Tony Robbins used to. I don't know if he does this nowadays, but Tony Robbins essentially recommended that you imprint yourself with your heroes. Um, you know, imprints. So he, I, I heard him talk about this once where he recommended that the guy go on stage where his hero speaker was standing and walk around like the, his, his hero speaker or hero businessman and imitate them. So essentially, Tony Robbins did a kind of a guru yoga, deity yoga mm. prescription, <laughs> right? Um, of merging with somebody whom you covet, right? And there's a positive aspect to that, which is that when you merge, right, and when you take somebody's, you learn something that's potentially very valuable. The negative thing, of course, is that you are entering that person against their will, right, which is also really, really important to know, that when you merge with somebody who is an actual person, that's um, that's that's hmm? that's trespassing, right? Uh, and so when and how you of course know it's trespassing is if somebody does it to you. Right? Um, I've once seen a guy who walked on the stage uh, of somebody I was with and uh, traveling with, and imitated that person's movement and everything, and it feels like vampirism. And so that all said, when you engage in those kind of practices, they have some far-reaching effects, not only on your nervous system, but potentially on other people's nervous systems. But more importantly, when you want to manifest something and you want to set your compass to that thing, you want to make sure that you're so crystal clear and that the associations with that manifestation practice are so clearly defined that not accidentally something else creeps in. Right? So meaning, I had a friend once and she wanted to manifest a fridge. She needed a fridge. This was a long time ago. And she was manifesting a fridge. And lo and behold, somebody offered her a fridge in Palm Springs, which is a six-hour drive from where she lived, right? And she would always joke and said she wasn't specific enough. 
She didn't say I need to manifest a, a fridge in my zip code. Right? And so it's a little bit like that. You have to be careful that you're not accidentally manifesting things that come with that practice. So I'm giving you an example, for instance. You are setting yourself, let's say, a sales goal, and you're doing sexual practice with that sales goal, but the sales goal is connected to the person who taught you that. And so when you load up that particular practice, that particular goal, you inadvertently load the man that gave you the practice up into your sexual practice. And then you either find yourself incredibly attracted to that person, that's the best case scenario, or certain imprints enter areas of your intimate life that you don't want those imprints entered in because they are for your business life. And they are, they are good, right? So if you have a business mentor, you want to have as much of that imprint in your business, but you don't necessarily want that imprint then in your bedroom subsequently. <laughs> 